Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Hey, everybody. A great one today. And this time, I mean it. You know, for a change. Hofi is here, Howard Feynman, the legendary D.C. journalist. Howard wrote more than 300,000 cover stories for Newsweek magazine when news magazines were in their heyday. And I should probably fact check that number. That's the kind of thing they did at Newsweek. Eh. But anyway, he adapted, Howard adapted quickly to the digital age, uh, not just in, in, in print, but to television where you no doubt seen his handsome face spouting the same kind of wisdom and insight that graced Newsweek for so many years. But first, I want to take just a few moments to talk about perhaps the most heroic figure in the 232-year history of the United States Congress, Liz Cheney. This from her speech a brave, brave speech the other day. Our duty is clear. Every one of us who has sworn the oath must act to prevent the unraveling of our democracy. This is not about policy. This is not about partisanship. This is about our duty as Americans. Remaining silent and ignoring the lie emboldens the liar. I will not participate in that. I will not sit back and watch in silence while others lead our party down a path that abandons the rule of law and joins the former president's crusade to undermine our democracy. Okay, now that was about two-thirds of the way through the speech, so it wasn't for another three or four minutes that she was roundly booed uh, by her Republican colleagues. But you have to remember that Liz Cheney had been a huge Trump supporter. The first two years of Trump's presidency, Liz Cheney supported Trump's position on 95.8% of her votes. In the last two years, Cheney supported Trump's position 92.8% of the time. Now, that's a higher level of support than Trump received over the same period from Congressman Mark Meadows, who Trump later selected as his chief of staff. And in 2019, this is what Liz Cheney said of the Democratic Party. This is from a uh, Meet the Press interview. They've become the party of anti-Semitism. They've become the party of infanticide. They've become the party of socialism. Hmm. Now, I'm a Democrat, and I socialism, I, I know social security, sure. Okay, that's kind of socialistic. That that's that's it is it's kind of socialist. Um, let's see, infanticide. Okay, we can argue about that. We don't think it's that, but from your point of view, you can, I guess, say that. 
the party of anti-Semitism. Um, no, no, no. I am not anti-Semitic. I am not a self-loathing Jew. Uh, I admit there are some, but um, I'm not one of them. And the Democratic Party <laughs> is not anti-Semitic, and that, there's a reason that that's why we get 80% of the Jewish vote or something like that. Okay, so she's a huge Trump supporter, but then, of course, came January 6th. Okay, let's review uh, January 6th. After Trump supporters stormed the Capitol with the intent of shooting Nancy Pelosi, shooting her in the head, and hanging Vice President Pence, and, you know, hunting down Democratic members of Congress to, to kill them, Liz Cheney was one of 10 Republican House members to vote to impeach the president. And that's because the people who stormed the Capitol believed President Trump when he started claiming from election night on that Biden and the Democratic Party had stolen the election, lying lying about it, and that, that he, Donald Trump, had actually won the election uh, in a landslide. Now, any idiot, and that includes Ron Johnson, had to know that Trump was pulling this out of his butt. The Trump Justice Department found no evidence that the election had been stolen. The Trump legal team lost over 60 cases. In many instances, judges appointed by Trump ruled against him. It, it was just clear. Look, my favorite had to be the phone call with Brad Raffensperger, the Georgia Secretary of State, where at one point he told Raffensperger, All I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have, because we won the state. See, Biden won Georgia by 11,779 votes. Trump wanted the Georgia Secretary of State to find... 11,780 votes so he could win the state that he lost by 11,779 votes by one vote. Can you imagine what the press conference would have looked like? <clears throat> yes, uh, is that on the mic? Okay, uh, yes. <clears throat> I'm uh, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, and um, we have a revision uh, in the totals, and uh, Donald J. Trump uh, won the state of Georgia by <clears throat> one vote. Uh, yes. Was there another recount? Uh, no, uh, we just found 11,780 votes. And they're all for Trump? Yes. Where'd you find them? In a box. Where was the box? Um, in a closet. Now, Trump was on tape. <laughs> Any idiot, and that includes Ron Johnson, has to know that there was no fraud. And as Chris Krebs, a Republican, the head of cybersecurity and infrastructure for the Trump administration, as he put it, it was, 
quote, the most secure election in our nation's history. So after the attack on the Capitol to stop the steal, Liz Cheney is one of 10 Republicans to vote to impeach Trump and shame on every Republican who who didn't. Now, at the time, I got to think she was thinking, okay, uh, this is one of the worst things that's ever happened in our country. Um, I know I'm only one of 10, but come on, this, this was akin to treason and everyone pretty much knows it, except Ron Johnson and Jim Jordan and Louis Gohmert uh, and a few others. Um, but clearly this is impeachable and everyone knows it and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be okay. Anyway, that, that's what I thought. I don't know, look, how, how could she not be thinking that? But things have just gotten worse since then. Trump was acquitted, of course, but you had to expect that. Uh, but since then, this narrative that's kind of the one they're going with, that the election was stolen, that's the Republican Party narrative, that's kind of the one they're going with. And the Republican Party is now the Trump Party. And the official line is, Biden stole the election. Now, Mitch McConnell, in his bizarre speech five minutes after the acquittal, did very clearly acknowledge that Trump was responsible for the insurrection, that he had, had misled people, he had lied. There is no question but those who stormed the Capitol on January 6th did so because Donald Trump misled them. But now Mitch doesn't bring that up anymore. And last week when he was asked about Liz Cheney, he, he pivoted. Classic politician move. He was asked, what are your comments on Liz Cheney? What do you say about Liz Cheney? Well, look, listen, I'm, I'm going to spend 100% of my time fighting Biden's agenda. 100% of his time, which meant that he hadn't had the time to form an opinion with Liz Cheney, because, you know, that takes time. <laughs> That's leadership. And, of course, uh, after taking a criticism for saying, I'm going to spend 100% of my time fighting Biden's agenda, he backed off that, and he said, well, that depends on what his agenda is. Uh, nah. He was right the first time. He's it's, he's just going to, it's going to be 100% him fighting Biden's agenda like he did with Obama. Come on, we know that. Okay, back to Liz Cheney. In the end, I just don't think she had any choice after the vote for impeachment. You can't vote to impeach and say he caused the insurrection, and later go, um, I was wrong? <laughs> Cheney's don't do that. Remember her father told us, um, simply stated, uh, there is no doubt that Saddam Hussein now has weapons of, uh, of mass destruction. Now, did he ever say, I'm sorry, I got that uh, 
I got that kind of wrong. No, it might have been the decent thing to do, <laughs> especially to the Gold Star families, but uh, Cheney was not known for his heart. In fact, he had eight heart attacks in uh, just W's second term and three artificial hearts, uh, two of which rejected him. A lot of people don't know that. But in this case, Liz Cheney was right. And she's going to be part of the effort to get Republicans to reject the Trump narrative and be a party that stands for something. Um, good luck. And that's a big part of what Howard Feynman and I will be talking about in the next 45 to 50 minutes or so. Uh, the current state of the Republican Party and where they're going, and it ain't pretty. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts, to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example, let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup. <laughs> that, means, that means I would also like the soup. And that way, I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash franken. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash franken. Rules and restrictions may apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Howard. Hell. Uh, I haven't talked to you since we did the, uh, the, we did a big Jewish event, didn't we, together? Yes, uh, we, uh, we did. It was, it was. Jews United for Democracy and Justice, and uh, they have a very wide-ranging set of speakers uh, who come in via Zoom, and they they don't limit themselves to Jewish topics uh, by any means. No. They've managed to become very popular, and they're kind of like the West Coast Zoom version of the 92nd Street Y in New York. It's really, really fun to do. Yeah, and uh, yeah, they've had people like uh, George Will. And evidently, I attracted more people than George Will, which is hard to believe because he's funny. He's a funny man. <laughs> no, anyway, he's he's a very smart, very smart guy, and you know George, of course. Oh, I I read something about uh, this is not what we're going to talk about today, but just George Will was an early supporter of Josh Hawley, along mm -hmm. with Danforth, right? And Danforth kind of mm -hmm. got George Will 
interested in Hawley, and George Will wrote a column about how great this guy was. <laughs> and then, uh, then Hawley turned out to be a horror show, and um, George Will expressed his dislike, and then uh, Hawley was really mean to him. Like, yeah, isn't there a country club you have to go to? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I think the, uh, the descent of Hawley is... Uh, pretty much a paradigm for what's happened to the Republican Party uh, under Trump. That's that's the situation that uh, Joe Biden is dealing with and that uh, McConnell is, Mitch McConnell is dealing with and that we as a country are dealing with. That's really the best entree into what we should talk about today because Liz Cheney spoke out and she's losing her leadership position. She's, she's lost it uh, very quickly and dramatically and appropriately by a, a mob-like voice vote. In other words, they, they ousted... <laughs> I'm sorry. I like mob-like. They, they ousted her um, in short order after she gave yet another impassioned speech and uh, was rained with booze, and uh, they, they, kicked, they kicked her out, and she vowed immediately after to fight against Donald Trump with all her strength and to gather as many people around her as she possibly could so uh, the fight is on. And uh, it, it feels like, unfortunately, she's on the right side, and she feel, feels like in the Republican Party she's on the losing side. I don't think there's any uh, doubt about it that she's on the losing side for now, and maybe uh, for a long time to come. That's, that's the uh, issue going forward. I would cite as evidence for that proposition that, that she's on the losing side, not only the the voice vote to oust her. By the way, by a voice vote, that means that the individual members don't have to go on record should it become in that vote become inconvenient years down the road. But uh, yeah. uh, it isn't right now. But I would cite as evidence for the fact that she's on the losing side what happened in Virginia, uh, where the Republicans chose their nominee for governor, uh, a guy named uh, Glenn Youngkin, in every other respect would be uh, the kind of country club Republican that Josh Hawley was dismissing in that he uh, is a graduate of the Harvard Business School, that he uh, was a co-CEO uh, of the Carlyle Group, Wow! Uh, he had a big investment firm based here in Washington, mm -hmm. uh, that he's a very well-educated, well-spoken, and seemingly rational person uh, who nevertheless won the nomination by essentially running on doubts about the validity of Joe Biden's election. He refused to say whether uh, he thought Biden had uh, legitimately won the election, had won the election at all, made his whole campaign about a vote integrity project that he supposedly wants to run in Virginia, campaign with Ted Cruz all over the state and praised Ted Cruz as a guy who would never give in. That's the guy who in an earlier day would be a kind of Bush-type uh, Republican who's now totally, totally in the pocket of Donald Trump. Well, you say he went to Harvard Business School, of course. Hawley went to Yale Law. He's just as establishment as you get, and that's why uh, John Danforth uh, backed him. And thought, sure, sure. And, and he's become someone quite different than, and he's, Danforth says the biggest mistake he made in his life, and this guy now is just leading the pack. It's not leading the pack because there's a lot of leading the pack, including Cruz, including 
Ron Johnson. But who my, didn't my go point to jail. Is, my point is that all these people who or this guy that I just mentioned who won the uh, Republican nomination for governor in Virginia, he was with Car the Carlisle group for 25 years. Jesus. And uh, he didn't just make a, you know, a quick pass through it before uh, before getting into politics. He self-fund he was a, he's a wealthy guy who was able to self-fund who in every other respect and by every tradition that we uh, and sort of piece of political sociology we understand uh, would be a, a a Republican who believes in the rational mind, at least. Yeah, he's a uh, James Baker, George Schultz. Yeah, kind he's that of... kind of Republican, one would think. And yet, in order to win the nomination in Virginia, uh, he had to doubt who won the election. He refused to say that Biden won the election. He's he's feeding the sort of populist ignorance that otherwise, uh, in another day and time, a guy like that would be repulsed by. Uh, Liz Cheney spoke to this uh, as incredibly dangerous. And it is because this, and she said this is like the first time this has ever happened, which is the actually saying an election was stolen and then standing by that. I mean, sometimes you have a nut or two or three saying, oh, the, you know, the voting machines or something, but it, that doesn't last. And, and then, of course, we have the uh, storming of the Capitol which an, an insurrection and uh this is the most i i've never seen anything like this i don't think anyone has this is maybe the most dangerous time in the the history of uh at least in my life because we have basically an entire political party of the only of only two basically saying uh the election was rigged We've glanced at this before, and in certain respects, we've we've gone we've gone farther in history. Uh, unfortunately, the only time we went farther in history in rejecting the legitimacy of an election, essentially, and of an pol entire political system, uh, was a constitutional political system, was the Civil War. Uh, but yeah, when, 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 when the when the when the when the when the Federalists and the and the Jeffersonian Democrats were at war with each other in 1800, it was somewhat at this level, and that the, was the first election that we had. So a uh, true election. I mean, George Washington had basically been, been, uh, been anointed in the, in the previous times. But, but that was the first election. We had to see whether our system would work at all, you know, right. sort of like starting the crank on the, on the auto. Would it, would it turn over? And it did, but not without a lot of uh, dangerous talk and a lot of rejection and so forth, sedition uh, and all that. Yeah, stuff. all of that stuff. And I think in the in the in the seventy eighteen seventy six election, yep, uh, which went to a commission and all that, there was a lot of bitterness that 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 lapsed over into the next election and people doubting the legitimacy of the the seventy six election as it turned out. Well, that was really was brokered. I mean, that was brokered. Yeah, yeah. In the and house, then the, right? and and then then you had the civil war in which six hundred thousand Americans died, and this this we're approaching that. I'm not saying we're approaching a shooting civil war, but we are in a slow motion cultural and political conflict that uh, I see intensifying because basically the Republican Party in general and Donald Trump in particular are focused on denouncing the le legitimacy of the system in order to use the anger generated by that to get elected next time. Uh, that is their basic strategy.
That that combined with their, uh, you know, election reform, which is a lot of voters. Yes. Yes. And that that that's of a piece. Exactly. And they're using the 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 uh, so-called election reform thing where they're going to change the law state by state to tighten voting laws as their uh, the bloody shirt that they're going to wave all the way along through this coming election season all based on the idea that the previous election was illegitimate and, and, and fraudulent and stolen and that the guy in the White House is, uh, is by definition a criminal because he benefited from a stolen election. That's, that's the kind of talk that we have in the country right now, and that, that's not fringe talk. That is, that's what the Republican Party is all about as they demonstrated by booing Liz Cheney out of the room. This is your second podcast with me. The first was actually one of our most popular podcasts, one of the most listened to of our podcasts. And it's because you uh, started your career uh, in Kentucky at the uh, uh, Lexington Courier Journal. Courier, uh, Courier Journal. Journal. And uh, so in, you. In, Louis- in Louisville, not Lexington. Oh, sorry. Sorry. What? I, yeah, Louisville. Louisville. But at least I you said say it, it right. properly. You, gotta, you have to. You have to go Louisville, 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 Louisville. I said it right. <laughs> the shocking thing: I yeah. did like a Jewish event like years ago, <laughs> and just to hear Jews go Louisville, I just went, "No, <laughs> come on, you're Jews, <laughs> Louisville." <laughs> no, but they Louisville. Anyway, yeah. so um, you covered Mitch, and you're kind of a Mitch uh, expert, I would say. Yeah. So where does this put Mitch? I mean, all right. Well, yes. I mean, if 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 uh, if he were worthy of sympathy, yes. Which is if okay. If he were worthy of sympathy, now would be the time to maybe be sympathetic uh, about Mitch <laughs> or to Mitch because he's he's in a he's a as they say between a rock and a hard place. He uh, yeah, but he's also made his bed. Yes, he's also made his bed, and he's lying. He's lying in the space between the rock and the hard place in yeah. his bed. But here, here's the situation. I mean, he, even though you rightly, and all of us, I think, rightly uh, ridiculed him for his uh, almost uh, incoherent, in, not not incoherent, <laughs> but the radical conflict between. Uh, what he said at the beginning of his speech when uh, on the, on the second Trump impeachment vote, right, and, and what he said at the end of his speech at the second Trump this impeachment vote. This is about vote. ten minutes after he voted to acquit. Yeah, he voted to acquit, <laughs> but then he he gave this speech, and the first half of the speech was as thorough a denunciation uh, of Donald Trump and blaming Donald Trump for lack of faith in the system and for encouraging the violence in the Capitol, uh, then he, then, then McConnell used the most important word in politics, which is the word, but so meaning that everything he just said didn't matter because, but there was a procedural reason why he was going to not vote to convict. And basically he'd let him off the hook. You've heard me do my impression of that speech. I just will do an encapsulation of it. There's no question that, the one person responsible for the unconscionable storming of the Capitol was Donald Trump. And there's no question that the people who stormed the Capitol would not have stopped until every Democratic member of Congress had been tortured, murdered, and dismembered. And yet, 
I voted to acquit. <laughs> yes. That, exactly. that was the whole speech, right? Right. And we, 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 sort of la- we, sort of, we sort of laughed at the cynicism of it. But, of course, the Trump supporters in general, and Donald Trump in particular, who already hated Mitch McConnell, went ballistic. And all they remember is the first part. And they also remember that McConnell allowed the second – he didn't stand in the way of the second impeachment proceeding happening. Not that he could have stopped it, but he, being the proceduralist in some sense that he is, he, he allowed it to happen. He figured that he, he would make that speech that you just summarized in well, the end. He, and well, he couldn't off. stop it, though. You're right. I mean, because right. he, he, he couldn't stop it, but he didn't protest it loudly enough for the Trump people in general and Trump in particular. So now Donald, Donald Trump's latest statements uh, about Mitch McConnell include that he is a gutless and clueless minority leader. Well, he's uh, not that he's clueless. An unsmi- he's not gutless. unsmiling I mean, political hack. Well, there's that. And in, in, and in Kentucky, where the other senator is Rand Paul, and uh, which is a state that has increasingly voted Republican and increasingly voted uh, for right wing Republicans and increasingly voted for Trumpian Republicans. Uh, Mitch McConnell is not necessarily on such comfortable territory, even though he just got reelected in his home state. So he was back in Kentucky last week and he, he was uh, uh, doing a stop at a uh, plant somewhere in central Kentucky, I think in a town called Georgetown, Kentucky. The reporters asked him about Liz Cheney. You know, what are you going to do about Liz Cheney? Because you know that Mitch, at least in some senses, is from the Cheney-style yeah. uh, wing of the Republican Party. And and McConnell had said what he'd said about what Trump had done wrong. And uh, he clearly is not a Trumpian by nature, uh, even if he's forced to be. Uh, when when necessary and absolutely necessary. And the reporters pressed him, uh, well, what about Liz Cheney? Aren't you going to say something about Liz Cheney? Aren't you going to defend Liz Cheney? Didn't you say that the, they stormed the Capitol and endangered everybody's lives? Didn't you say that that uh, Biden was duly elected? Uh, and didn't you congratulate Joe Biden? What about Liz Cheney? So he's being pressed by, on that side, his answer to that, his defense to that, is, well, I don't want to talk about that. You should like me because I'm now going to do everything I can. And he said, 100% 100%. of my time, I'm devoting 100% of my time and attention to stopping Joe Biden's socialist agenda. The result of the insurrection and the second impeachment and the fact that Trump hates him is that McConnell is, is scared and is going to do everything he can to prove his bona fides to the Trumpians by blocking everything Joe Biden attempts to do. This, this is what I was taught uh, pretty early yeah. on, and it took me a long time to figure uh, to actually execute it because it's not my nature, which is a pivot. So <laughs> they're <laughs> they're asking about Liz Cheney, Liz Cheney, Liz Cheney, and he goes, uh, "Well, listen, I'm I'm going to just spend a hundred percent of my time." Right. Right, for, you know, fighting Joe Biden's agenda, and then, right. of course, the next day, 
uh, <laughs> he uh, kind of reversed that because he got a lot of criticism for that. Like, really? Like, what kind of mm-hmm. – <laughs> is that right? Is that all you're going to do? Is that what the leader of the Republicans going to mm-hmm. do is just spend 100% of his effort fighting him? And he just went, well, it depends what his agenda is. And it's like, well, <laughs> you can't say one thing one day. Most of the time he calls it a socialist agenda. In other words, he's saying, all right, I'm not going to argue anymore about whether he was illegitimately elected, uh, Joe Biden, but he's illegitimate because he's a socialist. Uh, that, that's, his, that's his main pitch. But yes, he wants some bridges and he wants some bridges and roads. And they, He's got a, a bridge that, right by him, right? That, that yes, is in a, Cincinnati. Yes, there's an old bridge that uh, is 100 years old and carries 10 times more traffic than it should. And there's a huge bottleneck between uh, downtown Cincinnati on the other side, the north side of the Ohio River, and the rapidly growing and very Republican suburbs of northern Kentucky and uh, across the river where the airport is. And and yes, they desperately need that bridge. And McConnell has maneuvered to get new bridges in Louisville and, and between Louisville and farther up the river. And, you know, he he's Mr. Bridge uh, because uh, Kentucky depends on it. So he's going to want that bridge. And, and Joe Biden's going to promise to make it a gold-plated bridge if he uh, if he does some kind of infrastructure bill, and of course it's a um, he's talking about a two trillion dollar infrastructure bill. Trump, of course, had talked ran in sixteen on a trillion dollar infrastructure uh, program, and it never came up. Never came up for a vote. Every week for a long time was infrastructure week, and it just yes. never happened. And here here's the thing. Uh, it doesn't seem like Republicans want to do anything in particular. In other words, it seems like uh, that they have very they have no agenda other than to spend 100% of their time trying to defeat the Democratic agenda. But what I mean by that is, for example, um, they took over the House, Senate, and the White House from the 16 election in 17. So people said, well, why didn't they? They could have ended the filibuster and done anything they wanted. They don't want to do anything. All they wanted to do was get judges and uh, cut taxes. And you can cut taxes with reconciliation and you can get judges with uh, 50 plus one. So I just look at Republicans and think there's absolutely nothing they actually want to do. Well, they want to undo. They, they, uh, they, they don't want to do, they want to undo. And uh, somewhere between a remnant of conservative anti-big governmentness and pure nihilism is where most of them are at this point. They see the federal government, which of course they benefit from in terms of social security, which is a generational transfer in terms of Medicare, which is a form of uh, socialized medicine, although they hate the term, uh, et cetera, et cetera. The things they want, uh, but they think they have everything they want and they don't want any more, and they want less of everything else, or so they claim. But that's to give them credit for some kind of political philosophy. This is mostly not about political philosophy anymore, if it ever was. It's about fear. It's about fear of the idea of a community that includes people who aren't like them uh, and who don't, quote, share their values, unquote. 
And this has always been a conundrum in the country because it's it has been in the past a big enough country where you can exercise your sense of community only among the people you want to exercise it with. But now we're a bigger, more crowded, more connected country that sees everybody else in the country all the time, because that's what media does, that's what entertainment does, that's what popular culture does, that is much more national and inescapable. And these people, for the most part, find nothing to like in that. They, they see nothing but fear, and they see the government, they see the federal government largely as an instrument of it. So yeah, they want to deny the legitimacy of Biden's election, and even if, and they want to deny the legitimacy of any of his program uh, or proposals, and that fills up all of their waking hours. They don't think of anything at all positive. And it is nihilism if if it's based on them saying the election was stolen and them not and knowing it wasn't. We're going to take a, a short break. We'll be right back with Howard Feynman. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. We had uh, Heather McGee on who wrote this book, The Sum of Us, which is about what you were talking about. Whites being sold the idea that uh, anything that benefits people of color takes away from them. And they get that message from Republicans, and have been for quite a long time. And her basic premise is that post-World War II, we grew as a nation, we had all this great stuff, and Americans loved it until the civil rights movement happened, and then they went, oh, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, I just, that's going to take away from me. One of the things she points to is how many communities, when the courts told them they had to integrate their community pools, actually filled in the pools. <laughs> Al, there, there's no doubt uh, that race is a big part of it. I, I don't think it's all of it. Uh, I think 
other things are happening at the same time in terms of the deterioration of other institutions that gave people comfort and community. Uh, and that would include the, the family in all of its manifestations. That would include a rig- a religion in all of its manifestations. Uh, that mm-hmm. would in- in- include the sort of collapse of localism, if you will, uh, which, which is legitimate. Like in a place like Kentucky, which I, I spent five years in and deeply love, uh, the people are connected to the land and they, they identify with their town and their community. And there are positive things about that. Uh, that have been under assault and not strictly because of, you know, the Voting Rights Act, which never really applied in Kentucky anyway. Uh, so it, it's, it's a little complicated, but there's no question that the core of it, as has been the core of our politics from the beginning, is race. It, it just is. It's inescapable. Uh, and yet we haven't, we, we, conf- we confront it spasmodically. And we're in a period now where we know we have to deal with it again. And it's the most difficult thing in America. And that takes us, if you want to go there, to the to the voting right, what's happening with the Voting Rights Act and the proposals to to actually put one back in place, which is which is fundamental um, and uh, which I dare say is going to have a difficult time passing. I'm very pessimistic about that because, one, it, it really can't be done through reconciliation. And, no. you know, the argument is made, well, this is so fundamental. Voting is so fundamental that it should be a 50. But no, I don't think anyone will buy that. And uh, or I don't think 50 Democrats necessarily will, will buy that. What's going to be interesting is I, uh, they're starting hearings on it, right? Yes. Well, they had they had they had also had big discussions in the Rules Committee of the Senate, which uh, deadlocked and McConnell, Mitch McConnell, of course, was right in there opposing it every step of the way. It'd be interesting if they tried to get pieces of it. And I'm not sure what pieces <laughs> Republicans would agree to. Well, the, th- the thing is, it, it, a little history is required here. The, the, the original Voting Rights Act... Included preclearance. <laughs> yeah, th- what, but it, in, it included, quote, preclearance by the Justice Department uh, in Washington for election plans and voting plans in the states that had historically discriminated by law um, in voting in voting in those were southern states by and large and the southern states uh, the old the old confederacy were uh, put under special federal supervision on the theory that they had been especially uh, criminal in their past behavior Mm -hmm. so then that lapsed and uh, it it, lapsed because of Shelby County Yes, and and uh, and the and the court cases that said, okay, we don't need this anymore. Mm-hmm. It's all done. We're good. Everything's good. Or at least it's they're not. <laughs> the southern states that were under special review aren't any worse than the rest of America. So screw it. Well, no, I think Roberts basically said it's been solved. Uh, there is no. Yeah, yeah, uh, I know. <laughs> but my implica- my reading of it was, yes, you're right. That's what the words he said. <laughs> well, but the, the the truth was that you know it's he's basically saying, well, they're not any. They're not so different anymore. And you can interpret that any way you want. And during the last election, it is true that because of the pandemic, people said, okay, well, we have to be more creative and we have to do more outreach to make sure people vote. And can vote. Or can vote, can yeah. have the opportunity to vote. 
Right. And that seemed reasonable to, uh, I think, a majority uh, of Americans. And lo and behold, the result was one of the biggest turnouts that we've had in the last uh, century in terms of percentages. And, and the numbers are astounding. Yep. Uh, you know, 81 million for Biden, 74 million for Trump. It worked. And and I think the fact that it worked uh, and, and the fact it scared the Scared, scared the. Say uh, it, bejesus, bejesus. Yeah, okay. But I don't know if I can say bejesus <laughs> on a podcast. Can I say that? Uh, I was between. I was between a rock and a hard place on that one, Al. But I, <laughs> well, I made my bed and I had to to lie in it, audioly speaking. Anyway, uh, welcome to cliche today. <laughs> it's cliche here day here on the Al Franken <laughs> podcast. Yeah. And we have as our special guest a master of cliches, as he showed in his 30 years of writing at Newsweek magazine. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now what was fun. the one I made fun of you? Full-throated. Full-throated. <laughs> Full-throated. Uh, that was a go-to adjective in, um, your, in, uh, your cover in news, mag for, uh, news magazine language. So anyway, so now that, so they're scared. <laughs> and, and the supporters of voting rights and every, that everybody should have the opportunity to vote, uh, and it, there shouldn't be any bar to that. That should be as frictionless as possible. Said, okay, they're in, emboldened by that, and say we need the new Voting Rights Act. And what 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 all of politics is descending into is an argument about who gets to vote, and that's as fundamentally American as you get because we are uh, of the people, by the people, and for the people. So the rules of who gets to vote and how, how difficult, how easy it is, how close to full franchise, you know, full, pure democracy we get. And this was something that the founders argued about, uh, something that the Constitution essentially built an argument into, uh, built, uh, there's arguments about it built into the Constitution. That's where we are right now. And, and, the, and the Trump people are all saying Biden is was illegitimately elected using these tools uh, that that make fraud um, easy, more you know easily available. There's there's ballot harvesting, you know the whole harvesting thing. Yeah, in other words, what that is is people vote, and then you get their vote. Yeah, and you put them in a in a in a uh, in a in a uh, drop box, you know, about ballot. And with the, there was a widespread use of, of ballot drop boxes, which I credit to your friend and mine. Norm Ornstein, mm -hmm. who really popularized the idea, and uh, a lot of states took it up, and it, it helped increase uh, uh, percentage of, of, of voter uh, uh, voter participation. Norm, Norm, by the way, is a frequent guest of, of on this podcast. And when I asked you to do the event uh, that we did mm -hmm. the other the Jewish event, you said you couldn't get Norm. Yeah, well, that's that's <laughs> typical. Defensive remark, but mine of mine. However, you also said yeah, what you say? also you also said that you like to have, and it's been your practice as you've built your career, both in entertainment and politics, to have a a uh, a knowledgeable Jew, uh, adept, knowledgeable, savvy Jew in every major city. I said I like to know the smartest Jew in every city. I happily accepted my role. <laughs> As the second as smartest the, Jew, as the deputy <laughs> Franken Jew mm -hmm. in in Washington, so that was natural. I would ask that question. And by the way, just to clarify for everyone, the smartest Jew <laughs> in any city isn't. I'm not saying that's is the smartest person. No. Okay. No. I just want to clarify that. 
<laughs> what the progressive Democrats are saying is this is so fundamental that you've got to get rid of the filibuster altogether. Right. The, this bill, the S1, what's now called S1. Screw the filibuster. Get rid of it because it's mostly been used to stand in the way of racial progress anyway. Just get rid of it and vote the thing through on a 50-50 basis. You know, you know that Norm and I have mm-hmm. this um, modification of the filibuster because neither cinema nor mansion has ruled out a modification. And our modification mm-hmm. is that instead of needing 60 votes to end a filibuster, you need 41 senators need to show up and that they have to stay there and they have to debate. They can talk. No one has to talk for 24 hours. If there are 41 of them there, they can each speak for a few minutes. And But no green eggs and ham. You got It's got to be germane. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, and my point is that's really kind of what the filibuster was. That's what it was. Yes. And and what it would be what would be great about that is let's say we had that debate and on the on the floor of the Senate. And I would say, you know, if I were still there, I would go like, you know, let's have this debate. And I'll tell you what, you guys take uh explain to us why it should be illegal, it should be a crime to give someone water in in line to vote. And we'll take the it's not a crime side. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, I would yeah. let's have that debate. There's not enough debate in the Senate at all. No, no, real, not enough real debate at no. all. And, and I, I used to love to, you know, I've covered the Senate since uh, the late 70s. And, and the, th- the thing you're describing, the scenario you're describing, which I think is a, is a brilliant idea and that Chuck Schumer should, should get it done, is that it would, it would shine the light. It would force those people to come forward who don't want this to happen and put them back in the schoolhouse door, so to speak, which is where they were in the sixties when they were uh, in the fifties and sixties, when they were opposing all of this stuff and they would call for the cots, you know, they used to bring out the cots so people could sleep in the Capitol and during one of these filibusters. And it inevitably was the Southern Democrats. And by the way, it was the Democrats at that time for the most part, before the Republicans took over uh, uh, the, the ship of uh, racist politics, and uh, and and put shine a light on them and make them come forward and defend themselves, I would dare say that you know many many hours and days of Ted Cruz uh, on the floor on TV uh, would really not be good for the Republican Party. Yeah, there's only so much of him that anyone can take. <laughs> Or, or the whole crowd, the whole crowd. You mentioned Josh Hawley. You meant expose them, expose, give them the airtime, make them, make them do it, make make everybody watch it. And uh, I think that's what the Democrats should do. Also, people would watch it. People would love it. They yeah. would watch a debate, and people would have to talk on their feet, and they'd have to like respond to each other. <laughs> and like none of yeah. that stuff what we you're, ever see. What you're des- what you're describing is a complete nightmare to the modern politician. <laughs> it's kind of true, and I was just so disappointed when I got there and saw there was no debate, almost no debate. Every once in a while, I would try to engage somebody, and they'd be surprised. Well, McCon- Mc- you know, McConnell 
as I was saying before, is is uh, in a difficult position here. And Joe Biden was asked about McConnell saying, uh, you know, I'm going to be spend all my, uh, you know, 100 percent of my time trying to stop this socialist Joe Biden. And and Biden said, well, that's the kind of stuff he was saying back when Obama was president. And uh, I still was able to deal with him as vice president. And it is true that in 2013, Joe Biden and, and Mitch McConnell did work out a deal on the so-called fiscal cliff. Yeah, which I didn't like, actually. Un- unfortunately, it wasn't really a great deal. Uh, we we gave up too much. We gave up too much. And there were a lot of us uh, in the caucus, kind of the usual suspects, uh, Harkin, Merkley, Bernie, uh, Sherrod Brown, me, uh, who, who didn't want a deal. See, here here's uh, what was happening. In 2001, W cut taxes mainly for those at the top, and those at the top were incomes of $250,000, I think. Well, when they passed this in 2001, the the rules were that it had to end in 10 years. And so in January 1st, uh, 2012 was when they would end, and we'd hit, that was the first fiscal cliff. But they avoided that by voting to extend it by two years. And that happened because we were really deep in the recession and couldn't, uh, a, a tax hike wouldn't make sense. Then the next fiscal cliff was going to be January 1st, 2014. And we kind of had the Republicans by the balls because uh, they knew and we knew that if we went off the fiscal cliff and went down to $250,000 at the top income and the, that the old rate was on them, that that would be really ra- raising taxes and it would be them doing it. Uh, so we think we, we had them and kind of Biden came over and bailed them out in a way by – negotiating something where he, they raised it to $400,000 and didn't raise the tax rate as much as they should have. But he, listen, I have to say that I just loved his his uh, speech to the uh, joint session. I love his agenda. The question is, and here's my question to you. Okay, he has this agenda, daycare, right? Mm-hmm. Mitch, in response to his speech, He said, well, Democrats want us to drive the cars that they want us to drive. And, yeah, we want to, you know, in the future to be driving electric cars because they don't pollute. You know, they don't have emissions. And, yeah, but we can make the same damn cars. We have SUVs, electric SUVs. The only thing you don't have with them is the sound of an internal combustion engine. But then uh, he... He really just completely was talking about uh, daycare and was saying, like, this separates work from our, our habits. And he was, he was saying it was anti-work. And, and daycare is the, the number one people, uh, reason people want daycare is so they can work. And they, they can leave their kids somewhere that they can rely on and it's safe and nurturing for their kid. That's why all people want to take care almost well, is like 95%. Al, what's the question? Well, there's no question here. This is <laughs> this, it's a statement. Can you imagine any person just at first glance who strikes you as less likely to understand anything about life 
domestic life than Mitch McConnell. Nobody. That was the question. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and that wasn't an answer. That was my answer to my non-answer to your non-question. Yeah, but that but no, was an he answer. He not, but it's all part of the socialism thing. See, that's 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 an emotional. That's getting at this emotional idea that the government wants to dictate everything about your life. They want to dictate how your family structure, what you can believe in and not believe in, uh, whether you have to wear a mask or not wear a mask whether you send your kids to daycare or not. You know, if you send your kids to daycare and the federal government subsidizes daycare, then that means your children are going to be brainwashed by federal bureaucrats. I mean, that's, that's the belief system that he is appealing to and that is more widespread than uh, people say in uh, my neighborhood here in Washington, D.C., uh, would understand. But what he didn't understand is that, first of all, you poll people, they want this. They want it overwhelmingly. Sure. And the reason they want it overwhelmingly is that daycare right now, if you're going to get daycare and you're going to get reliable, safe, good daycare, it's incredibly expensive. And so people want daycare and they want the government to organize it. So it isn't so expensive. And so also we train good people who are, are know about early childhood education like they do everywhere damn else, you know. And then so people can go to work. It's good yes. for our economy. And he he's right. He just does not have a no, clue. He has no clue. He never did. And I, you know, I know his whole life story. Uh, the irony of it is that, uh, uh, well, not the irony of it. The fact is that his mom a uh, very dedicated mother uh, who I think was, uh, I don't know if she worked outside the home, as they say, ever, but she dedicated her life to helping him overcome polio, yeah. uh, which he did uh, with her loving care and attention. And during his, he was always a fanatical workaholic dedicated to nothing but politics. And, and uh, he did have kids with his first wife. Uh, I don't know what kind of family situation he had, but I, 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 can tell I you. understand he is a doting grandfather. I, I'm, <laughs> I don't know that. And I know and, and, and <laughs> no, it's, it's his life, his, I, I his life know. in its entirety uh, has been focused on being exactly where he is right now, which is uh, in the well of the Senate. That's um, that's, that's his whole life and that's who he is. And also he has, a, a, a to the extent that he has a philosophy other than enhancing his own and keeping his own power, it's resistance to what, in general, the federal government wants to do, and and he's going to fight it all the way. Yes, he's on the absolutely wrong side, but it's up to the Democrats to figure out how to sell this properly. I, I know what the numbers say, uh, and the numbers are supportive. But you have to build on those numbers with the kind of reasonable rhetoric and 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 ideas uh, that somebody like Roosevelt was able to do during the Depression and uh, the lead up to World War II, and and so Biden has Joe Biden has a has a big sales job to do to make the American people openly admit what they know which is that community is necessary in America and that we've allowed it to fray in every conceivable way 
and you know we're we're a country that uh, of rugged individualists we think but we also uh, needed barn raisings when we needed them uh, in places like Kentucky. That's what the people did. The poor white farmers did. Uh, they took turns uh, building, you know, helping build each other's farms or build back the barns after they burned down and all that kind of thing. That's a strain in America that is sometimes difficult to sell. It seems like it requires a an emergency for us to uh, admit that we're one country. Okay, you're talking about how Biden approaches getting his agenda done and how Democrats yes. in the Senate do that because it's the Senate. The House has already voted for H.R. 1. I mean, so it's mm-hmm. now about this 50-50 plus one, the uh, Vice President Harris, and uh, trying to get as much of this stuff done, which is all pretty damn popular. People want yes. infrastructure. People want to address climate change. They just do. And he emphasized so much the jobs that come from mm-hmm. infrastructure, including blue-collar jobs, jobs that yep. don't require yep. college education. All of that stuff, that speech to me was basically, let's do the stuff we know we should do. Yes, uh, I, I totally agree. I, I like the speech, too, very much. I like that it was unadorned and practical and just like, okay, here's the obvious things we need to do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if we're going to be a modern society, if we're going to – and uh, we always like competition – and we used to measure ourselves against the Russians. Uh, now we're going to measure ourselves, uh, lo and behold, against China. And uh, yeah. And we have to do research and development. We have to do it on AI. We have to have a 21st century infrastructure. We have to have our infrastructure at least resemble that of the rest of the developed world. And that means yep. everything, including broadband. And everyone's going, right. yes, 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 yes. And uh, <laughs> so... The question is, what order do you do these things? That's that. Uh, I, I like your your take on that. Like, for example, do you do infrastructure first? Because I think that's pretty damn popular infrastructure. I think you do, uh, if for no other reason than the bridge over the Ohio River in Cincinnati. Uh, although Mc- McConnell's said, I don't care. You know, he doesn't. <laughs> he can't say, I don't care about that because he does. And yes, everybody wants some infrastructure. And the Republicans have come and, and Shelley Moore Capito, the senator, the other senator from West Virginia, uh, has taken the lead on that. And what's happening right now as we're recording this is that the president is meeting in the Oval Office with the uh, four top leaders of Congress, oh, right. yeah. uh, the, uh, the Chuck Schumer and, and uh, Nancy Pelosi and Kevin McCarthy and, uh, McCarthy and, and McConnell. And I think the one thing that the four of them could agree on <clears throat> is the necessity of some kind of infrastructure bill. The question is what it'll be, how big it will be, what mm-hmm. it will include. And I think you got to get the Republicans to go for that. And if they do, that breaks the spell of, that won't break the spell, but it'll counter the notion that the president they just did a deal with is was illegitimately elected and therefore a criminal and also a socialist because they just did you know they just did a deal with with a criminal socialist so that's what they got to get done and i uh the question will be probably the size of it i mean it's like when remember the the 10 republicans came into the oval office 
right at the beginning of the administration to talk about the what the recovery uh, bill, mm-hmm. and you know uh, Biden was proposing one point nine trillion, which is what we ended mm-hmm. up with, but only Democratic votes, and they came back with like point six trillion, and that just was like really you guys are <laughs> that's okay well. We're going to do 1.9. We're going to do it. Well, they got to they got to do it in a way where McConnell can say, "Well, I eliminated the the socialist portion of the infrastructure bill. There won't be any socialist infrastructure here." And uh, what that number is, uh, taped crossing that out. Yeah, and and Biden and Joe Biden is invited invited them repeatedly to get involved in the infrastructure thing, which is why he had this long meeting with Shelley Moore Capito the other day and why he uh, met with, um, talked to, I don't know if he met in person with uh, Manchin last night. You know, though, I think they'll, they'll get something on that. Beyond that, I don't know. Yeah, well, the question is, do you get enough from them? And then if you don't, do you do that through reconciliation? Because we have another reconciliation package that we can do, that Democrats can do, that the parliamentarian said. And you can shove a lot into <laughs> to that, you know, one one reconciliation yes. bill. So uh, th- that's that's just what, to me, is interesting right now is how this is going to play out. I don't. My my view. My view, Al, is that uh, the Democrats would obviously prefer not to use the reconciliation thing on the infrastructure bill, and that's because probably they think there are enough Republicans who are pro infrastructure that they can get the sixty. Yes, and because it's important for the indirect affirmation of the legitimacy of the Biden presidency. And to undercut the Republicans' arguments on that, that they do a deal with him. And something of that magnitude. It's important for the Democrats, for Biden to be able to say, uh, you know, we did a bipartisan deal. That undercuts the whole Republican-Trump argument. And, and, and by the way, as you, to your point about the Republicans not having anything to run on uh, and, and being against everything and not wanting to do anything— What's going to fill that vacuum besides yelling and screaming that Joe Biden is a is was fraudulently elected and that it's a socialist agenda is going to be the culture war stuff on wokeness. You know, the whole culture war uh, thing is what they will focus on. But Biden can take attention away from that and show that he's getting things done if he can do some kind of bipartisan deal on infrastructure which means to me that uh, the Republicans are going to have uh, the opportunity, if they dare take it, to get a bill that they can live with. The problem is, as soon as they do that, as soon as they vote for something that Joe Biden, you know, that th- that has any whiff of Biden in it, it could it could angry up their base. So we'll see. And and you have the photo op of him signing it and uh, smiling, Shelley. More capital yeah. next to him, smiling, and other Republicans smiling. I mean, that's 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 the uh, they, they it's up to the Republicans. They go that way. If if they if they totally want to say no, then then Biden can threaten the uh, reconciliation route. He doesn't want to. I don't think he wants to do it on this one because he probably does want to do it on the American Family Plan thing. In other words, on the on the less on the the. Uh, 
the physical infrastructure than the social infrastructure, because the social infrastructure is something that the Republicans are going to are going to resist in a more, dare I say it, full throated fashion. It, it's just going to be not only just fascinating, but unbelievably crucial and important what the way forward is. And when will we know? When will we start to know like, oh, well, <laughs> okay, uh, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to cooperate. And that's their strategy for 20. It's not going to be soon, meaning the next day or two or a week or two, mm-hmm. I don't think. Because as I say, the Republicans are in a very, very tricky position here. Uh, you know, with with Trump down in Florida shouting at them and calling McConnell gutless and clueless and and uh, you know people like Josh Hawley loose upon the land uh, saying who knows what and uh, it's 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 going to be uh, the the Republicans in the Senate are in a very difficult spot and um, they've got and that argues for their not doing something precipitous here because they. They 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 want to they'll be wanting to constantly assess the lay of the land in the days and in the days and weeks ahead. They want to see what kind of traction, if any, Liz Cheney gets uh, with her crusade that she's starting now with uh, other Republicans to uh, undercut Trump. You're going to want to see whether you know what traction Trump gets in some of his rallies that he's now going to be having. Again, uh, they're going to delay. I, I think they're going to try to delay it as much as they as they possibly can. And at some point, Joe Biden is going to have to say, look, either you do this or we're going to jam it with reconciliation. Yep. And, and that that I'm not sure exactly when that's going to happen because he needs he does need it would be good for him to get some bipartisan. What, what if he did here. something like the joy, uh, uh, George Floyd uh, policing reform act? What, what if they did that together? Like, like just did that. And I, you know, have reason to believe that that may yep. happen because uh, Tim Scott has, um, yes, working on that. And what if they just did that? In other words, got I something think that would done. Be, that's a good idea. Fairly I think quickly. That's a good, that's a good idea. And, 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 you know, I haven't get totally, as might be obvious to the listeners, I haven't totally gamed out what they should do when, but, uh, you're in the Senate, so you know how how we're in the Senate. You know how it works, and I think that 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 might be a good idea. That might be a good idea. That would be something that the Republicans would one would think, uh, depending on the language, uh, want to be there's, for. There's not that. There's not really anything in that bill that people would go. That's you know, it's like banning chokeholds. People would be going, yeah, by now we should (laughs) know not to do that, you know, not to allow chokeholds. Or it has uh, qualified immunity, and I think there might be a compromise on that. That's whether you can sue a cop, and you can't, uh, basically. It's very hard to. But maybe the compromise there is you can uh, sue the police department. You know what I'm saying? It's like it depends. It depends on the language, and as long as somebody like Tim Scott is willing to take part in negotiating on it, I think it's a possibility. Yeah. So I'm just saying, if you get something done, it kind of confers that legitimacy that you were talking about, and it's something to sign, and it's something, you know, to have at the White House, and 
It's bipartisan. And, and even though some Republicans will want to say <clears throat> this is a federal takeover of the local police function, you got to write it in a way that it's clear to everybody uh, that it's a good thing that somebody is setting rules nationally. Yeah, and it's it's things like, uh, you know, you have to keep track of how many people you killed. <laughs> yeah. You know, there has to be a right. registry. Right, yeah. That, uh, like that, right. that has to, every police department has to do that, not, you know, 60%. Uh, so, well, thank you. Um, this is, this is a lot of fun, and uh, we'll edit it to uh, make you seem smart. We'll try yeah, to do that. Yeah, and edit out, you can edit out the... The uh, the resentment of Norm Ornstein. <laughs> Are you kidding? That's gold. <laughs> well, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV. There seemed to be an endless supply of shows that delivered entertainment for us, but trauma for children. I'm Misha Brown, the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each week on The Big Flop, comedians join me to chronicle the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? We recently looked behind the scenes of what was really going on at Abby Lee Miller's dance studio. Abby's biggest misstep wasn't screaming nonsensical catchphrases or throwing chairs on television, but instead, she was choreographing financial fraud in plain sight. Join me to break down all the wild details of Abby Lee Miller's story. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Once upon a beat. Remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the New Kids and Family Podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.